Welcome to the Art of Tech Marketing Podcast, the show that's about cool content ideas for curious marketers in the technology industry. Every episode features smart, innovative, and often unusual content marketing strategies that are generating results. Thanks for joining us on the Art of Tech Marketing Podcast. I'm so excited to have Michelle Burroughs, Chief Marketing Officer of ProCare Solutions with me today. Michelle and I have worked together for a long time in creating great content, and she's one of the most brilliant marketing leaders that I know. She's held VP of Marketing roles at Comcast Business, Nice in Contact, Saranova, Barrett, and more. Michelle, welcome. It is so great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Kim. It's such a delight to talk to you. And yes, we've known each other and worked together for a really long time. So really exciting. And I only have one correction. I was the chief marketing officer at Saranova as well. So before awesome. that, I was the VP at a number of different companies, but I'm so thrilled to be here. Oh, great. Well, we're glad to have you. Thanks. Before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about ProCare and what ProCare does? I would love to. It's such a great space and it's so much fun. So ProCare provides software that is leveraged by folks who run child care centers for before and after school programs or Montessori programs and things like that. And our software really provides both the front end and the back end solution. So folks can really worry about caring and educating the children in their care rather than accounting or check-in or trying to manually send out newsletters to parents and communication to parents. We also, in light of COVID, offer contactless check-in, check-out, contactless payment options. So everything a child care center owner or operator could use or need to effectively run their center as a business. I remember when you came into ProCare, ProCare has been around a long time in the child yeah, care 30 industry. Years. One of the things I think of with you, you know, we've worked together at a few companies where you've done this, is you've gone in and basically revitalized the brand, you know, started over and said, how do we take the great things here and what new things do we need to add? How did you do that at ProCare? Because you had some acquisitions that happened around that time too, as I remember, and different product lines that you wanted to bring together. Yeah, so we revitalized the brand in a very intentional fashion because one of the things to know is folks who have been using our software, you know, some folks have been using it since the company's inception and for 15, 20 years. So there is a great degree of loyalty and love for the software that we provide because it helps so many things. So what we did as we were looking at updating and refreshing and revitalizing the brand is we talked to a lot of customers. We called them and we did interviews and asked them, you know, how do you feel if we use this word or this word? We asked them about their affinity with certain aspects of the brand. We also interviewed partners, folks who are in the industry are known as industry thought leaders. We interviewed employees. So we really took a view of looking at things from a complete holistic way, asking our stakeholders throughout, you know, from the executive team to customers, to employees, to thought leaders, what their thoughts were on the current brand and what we were missing. You know, for example, when I talk about, hey, we were able to launch COVID-centric solutions within our platform, 
And did folks feel like we were that tech forward? So we were able to grab a lot of really great data and leverage that in our evolution of the brand. That's great. And I love how you, it sounds like took a very broad scope in who you interviewed to get a lot of different opinions. How did you use that information then to inform the strategies and maybe even the tactics that you ended up putting together to go forward with at ProCare? That's a great question too. So at the end of all of those interviews, we came upon a couple of themes. For example, because we've been around for a long time, because we offer things like live phone support, which some folks in the space don't offer. They only offer text-based support or email support or something like that. So we took things like people saying, I trust you. You're my trusted partner. I know I can count on you. And so we leveraged that in creating a brand that was trustworthy. But then at the same time, our target market is the childcare industry. So you also have to bring in the whimsy and fun. And our audience is working with kids. You know, this is a group that before COVID hugs to greet everybody. So we use the insights and then came up with what I think is a fun, but at the same time, trusted brand, voice, message, et cetera. That's great. And I love, you know, you redesigned the website too, and the graphics reflect that, I think, very well. The word tone that's used, you know, and the copy reflects that really well too. We had quite a job with the website, Kim, because as you mentioned, we had done a number of acquisitions and we hadn't fully integrated them. And some of the acquisitions were of companies that, you know, there were two owners or something like that. And What I kept finding when I was looking to integrate all the websites is I kept finding random websites (laughs) places. And I think at one point I had a list of nine different websites and I finally showed it to someone who was like, did you know we have nine of these? So it was quite an effort to bring everything together and have a cohesive tone and tenor and brand and voice for all of those disparate properties because we've integrated really, really well, but that wasn't apparent to the world at large through our website. It looked really, really separate. That's a big task. Wow. Well, it was so know, fun though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it looks, it has a fun look about it too, but the trustworthy aspect, like you said too, there is a little bit of a serious edge to it because like you said, you're taking care of children. That's a yeah, serious job. And it's a business. It's a business. It's the business of childcare. Right. And in COVID times, I think part of it's even become a little more serious. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, the other thing I think of, Michelle, that I've seen you do at multiple companies now, too, is build up marketing teams that function well, they're high performing. How do you go about doing that? You know, like when you take on a new CMO role and you assess what needs to happen, how do you know which positions to bring in first? How do you decide how to prioritize that and then have everybody work together well? So when I shifted from being a VP to a CMO, I called a number of trusted CMOs and who had made similar shifts. And I asked them, you know, what are the top tips you have for me as I make this, as I make this journey in my career? And one thing came, it came out from every interview I had, which was you have to have the right team in place. And so before you can do remarkable things, you have to have a remarkable team. 
So the first month at an organization, I spend a lot of time understanding who do I have on the team and are they the right people? And if they are the right people, are they in the right seat? You know, there's that concept of, are they in the bus? Are the right people in the bus? And do you have the right people in the right seats on the bus? So at ProCare, we had a lot of generalists but we didn't have functional area expertise. And by that, I mean demand gen, content brand. We had a fantastic marketing ops person who is still part of the team and is just remarkable. So I looked at the team and I said, what do we need? And the way I hire is first and foremost, I always hire marketing ops. So I had somebody that was a superstar. I never would outsource product marketing. So next I brought on a product marketing around the same time I brought on someone that was really strong in demand gen. And then last I brought on content. Now I've been using outsourcers like you for years. And so I have a pretty strong network of content writers, especially in technology. So my approach on content is I almost set up a writer's bureau where I have folks interview, say our head of product, or other technical experts. And then I have the interview at the same time and then send the group of writers like, okay, you take a white paper, you take an infographic, et cetera. So that's sort of the process in getting folks in roles that I usually do higher content last. I've found it easier to outsource. I will say too, Kim, that a really important piece for me in the makeup of any team is beyond skill set. Like I want somebody who, if you know they're in demand gen, they have to know how marketing automation works. But I would take culture and emotional intelligence every single day of the week over skills. And I am really, really, really open to training someone to get to where I need them to be if they have the right mindset. I can teach somebody and get them certified in Pardot or any other marketing automation system, analytics, et cetera. Same thing with many other functional pieces. I cannot teach passion. I can't teach someone to be a kind and nice person. I can't teach them to operate with integrity. So I put those sort of soft skills front and center. And then what is also really important to me as I form a team is making sure I have compliments on the team. So for example, I had my marketing ops guy who, as you would expect, super analytical. And my content person is much more creative and an extrovert and they complement each other really, really well. So as I start to bring people on the team, I also do 360 reviews and interviews So everyone has a voice and I talk with the team like, hey, is this person 100% a thumbs up or are we sort of like meh on this person? And as desperate as I've ever been for a role, whenever I have gone against my gut and gone with someone who was okay, but not great, I've regretted it. And so I wait out to get the right person. So it sounds like that patience is important to make sure. And so you get that right person in there. It is really important. Yeah, I've been burned way too many times by just operating out of desperation. I think if you operate with desperation, you're going to make excuses or allowances that in the end won't serve you. Right. Or the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the team. Right. Yeah, I think of it like, 
I mean, it's just so important to have all the pieces work together really, really well. And I have a team now and in past roles that you and I have worked together, for example, when we worked together at Saranova and when I was at In Contact as well, the team has to operate really, really well together and there has to be an absolute trust. So I'm behind, can you pick up the pieces over here? And that's what I really look for when I'm trying to hire people. I'm curious, Michelle, so when you want to build up a new marketing organization, let's say you have a budget of X amount, you know, for new hires, do you start with a manager level person or a director level person, or do you take that money and use it, like say for a marketing specialist? What have you found works best? Actually, that question came up on a CMO talk I actually just did. My personal belief is that you hire, hire. (laughs) And what I mean by that is I would rather hire a director versus two specialists that are diamonds in the rough. I want fully formed functional professionals. I'll hold out to get that. And I want folks who can roll up their sleeves and get it done. But this isn't their first rodeo either. So I hire my <laughs> gotcha. And I can see the benefits that would give you too. I think a lot of marketing leaders probably look at it the opposite way. You know, like save my budget and hire the people who might be less expensive, but don't have quite the experience level. Here's the problem with that is I've done that in the past. And then you spend a heck of a lot of your time mentoring and coaching that person to get the most out of them. And in the time that you're spending mentoring and coaching and giving tactical direction, that's taking away from the strategic role that you're supposed to play as a CMO. And it's really hard to have a conversation with a CEO to say, yeah, I'm not doing this really strategic thing you asked me to do because instead I've been spending a lot of time mentoring and coaching and making sure that all of the boxes are checked in a certain program or campaign. I really do want people on my team that can do that and can come back to me to say, hey, I want to bounce this idea off you or I was thinking of this, but that's much, much different than, hey, Kim, don't forget to do this, this, this. Don't forget to tell sales you're doing this campaign. I think it is really important, especially when you have a new marketing org to bring in folks at the level that you need them to be at. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I know you have a good team that you built at ProCare. And I know, I was talking to Francie, your director of marketing about this, is you've got a new campaign about thriving in 2021. And yeah. I love this and I want to talk to you about it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like it's actually running for most of the year. You have webinars that you bring in and experts on and yes. I assume the ebook is part of that too. Can you talk about that? What's your vision for it? And, and how is it going so far? Oh, it's going so well. And thank you for asking about it. I'm so excited about it. And Francie is, she's my content, my brand and my events person. And she's put this together and it's just remarkable. So what we put together, it is a monthly webinar series. And here's the thing, Kim, I feel like there is a great degree of optimism heading into 2021. 2020 was brutal for many of us, including the childcare industry. Many childcare Places were closed at the beginning of COVID and then they reopened slowly and then sometimes had to close again because of an outbreak, et cetera. They've had to invest money in additional training and additional cleaning, you know, all kinds of things. 
But going into 2021, there's that feeling of optimism and hopefully we feel it beyond just childcare. And so we really wanted to talk to our audience about what does it take to thrive? 2020 was a lot of surviving and how do we go into 2021 and thrive? And so we've pulled together really the industry's best and brightest to talk about everything from should you charge more for tuition and how should you set tuition at your childcare center to safety and security? How should you make sure that your center is secure, not just from something like a virus, but from someone who might want to do harm and get into your facility to marketing your center effectively? What do you need to do with your website? How do you optimize for search engines? How do you make yourself findable to parents? So I am so jazzed about this series and it's going really well. So I don't want to say how many attendees we've had so far, how many registrants, but it's performing beyond what my gut was telling me. So clearly we're hitting our stride in terms of content that our audience really needs. That's great. I love the idea of the webinars. I'm sure that's very engaging, you know, with your audience. Do you have any written content? I think I've seen some blog posts that supplement this. Any other plans with content? Yes, we also did a predictions ebook. We've done some infographics. We're really talking to both our customers and folks who are thought leaders in the space to say, what do you think is ahead for childcare? I think it's a mixed blessing. It's sort of two sides of a coin is with the pandemic, what happened is folks realized how important childcare is and will continue to be. And it's gotten the attention that it has needed to get for years. And with that attention comes, you know, investment at all levels of the government. And also, I think folks who have been in this space for a long time are looking at doing things differently, which is also an opportunity for us to say, hey, you could use technology to do things like contactless check-in, check-out, and sending newsletters and payments and things like that. So, It's really just been an interesting time. And I think there's so much opportunity both for childcare as an industry and also for us as a company. Well, let me ask you one last question then, Michelle. I think of you as a continual learner. And it seems like you do a lot of networking. You know, you want to stay on top of things. So I'm curious, you know, to share with listeners, how do you stay on top of things in your role? I think that's probably very critical for a successful CMO. And are there any resources you'd recommend to other marketing leaders? So I am a continual learner. You you nailed that. A colleague of mine once said to me, oh my gosh, your obsession with continual improvement is exhausting. (laughs) Really? Yeah, that is me. So I'm always looking to find CMOs or even folks who are just in senior leadership positions that are doing something different or new or interesting. And then I reach out to them directly. So I reached out to folks and said, you know, tell me a little bit about what are the top seven metrics you always present to your board month in, month out. I've reached out to folks to talk about how they've dealt with scaling sales teams. And even though that's not mine to do, it's my partner, our head of sales, 
I still want to learn about it so I can connect him with right resources. So I reach out a lot to folks. I just know so many folks who are just so smart and I'm always constantly like, oh, how are you doing that? That's really interesting. So I, I reach out to folks a lot, probably, you know, maybe a little too much sometimes. I reach out to a lot of different folks. There isn't a blog or a book necessarily that I ascribe to. One of my most effective networks right now is that CMO network I was talking about where it meets on a weekly basis and it's CMO Coffee Talk. It's put on by a guy named Matt Hines and also Sixth Sense is a, is a sponsor of it. And that's one of the best networks. And then, oh, actually our PE company also has a network of marketing execs that, that get together. So between those two areas, I hear a lot of things that I then, you know, take a level deeper and say, oh, I heard this on, you were talking on this and can we talk a little bit more on that? Mm-hmm. And what I have found, Kim, is people are usually really, really, unless it's one of your competitors, they're really open to sharing, here's what's worked best, here's what I've learned and things like that. So I leverage that as much as I can. Wow. So it sounds like your advice would be find peers who are doing interesting things, novel things, fresh things, and then talk to them individually too. Yeah. And don't be afraid to. I have heard about folks through other people and then reached, found them on LinkedIn and reached out and said, Hey, I heard you were doing this really cool demand gen program. Could we talk about it? And I've never had anyone say no. Sure. Yeah. They're probably flattered, you know, that you reach out and then you've got a two-way connection there too. You know, if they ever wanted advice from you and they see that you're doing cool things. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michelle. This is a great talk. I learned a lot from it and thanks for sharing your insights. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's such a pleasure to talk to you, Kim. We've known each other for such a long time that it's really a delight to be asked. So thank you for asking me to be a part of this. Oh, thanks. 